I'm down in between Like a bull chasing a mad adore This man left with his own schemes But everybody needs someone beside Shining like a lighthouse from the sea What's up, everybody? Welcome to Theology in the Dirt. We want to practice our theology in the public square of our homes, our city, and our world. We record Theology in the Dirt from Global Impact Restoration Rome, where we work to address the foster care and adoption crisis in northwest Georgia, the state of Georgia, the southeast, and the world as we practice our theology in the public square. You can check out Restoration Rome by going to restorationrome.org. You can also get sermon notes links, rest of the links to these podcasts, and all that good stuff on theologyinthedirt.com. My name is Mitchell Jolly. And I'm Chris Hayes. How about we get ourselves to some news? Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Cannonball! Absolutely. Last week, the State of Alabama Supreme Court designated embryos from IVF in vitro fertilization as uh, treatments as children to be protected. This story goes a lot deeper and is going to be worthy of some time for us on the podcast, but this forces the public at large to begin wrestling with the question of the destruction of embryos and the pro-life stance and the idea of having getting pregnant at all costs. Russian officials transferred custody of Alexei Navalny's body to his mother. A spokesperson for the family said Saturday after prison authorities originally suggested they would hold it for several more days. The family has not yet announced plans for a funeral. Authorities had at one point made the body's release conditional on the family's promise to hold a private ceremony. Meanwhile, President Joe Biden announced sanctions on more than 500 people and entities related to Russian President Vladimir Putin's regime, including financial institutions and groups leaked to the country's military industrial base to mark the anniversary of the second anniversary of the war in Ukraine and to punish Putin for Navalny's death in a Siberian penal colony Earlier this month, U.S. Central Command announced on Saturday that the U.S. and United Kingdom, with the support of several allies, carried out their fourth round of strikes against 18 Houthi rebel targets in eight locations in Yemen. The strikes, uh, an effort to neutralize the threat of ongoing Houthi attacks and commercial shipping in the Red Sea, were aimed at weapons storage facilities and other targets, including a helicopter used by the rebels. According to Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense, he said, we'll continue to make clear to the Houthis that they will bear the consequences if they do not stop their illegal attacks, which harm Middle Eastern economies, cause environmental damage, and disrupt the delivery of humanitarian aid to Yemen and other countries. And finally, former President Donald Trump beat U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley in Saturday's South Carolina primary, winning nearly 60% of the vote to Haley's 40% in her home state. Despite the loss, Haley vowed to stay in the race, traveling next to Michigan, where both parties will hold primaries on Tuesday, which will be tomorrow. That's it from me. All right. 22-year-old UGA nursing student Lakin Riley was killed last week by Jose Antonion Ibarra. Don't know if I said that right. Don't care. A Venezuelan (laughs) illegal immigrant who came into the country in 2022 illegally. Now, that's news in itself, but two major news sources completely made things worse by intentionally omitting the fact that he was an illegal alien. So I'm going to call them out because this fired me up. Yeah. Uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, their primary yeah. news story about this referred to him as an Athens man. <laughs> Literally said the, the, uh. in the headline, an Athens man killed or convicted or whatever it was in 
just completely ignored the fact that just acted like it was a normal person from Athens. He's from Venezuela. He's here illegally and committed crimes in New York and was released in New York and moved to the sanctuary city of Athens, Georgia. What that's, I'm wondering what that's all about. Then to make it worse, the Associated Press, another big um, news source, decided to highlight the dangers of running alone in their article (laughs) as if somehow she was to blame. So just disgusting journalism, in my opinion. And I know we, we usually just give headlines without commentary, but I think this time the commentary is the headline. Yeah. Uh, just sad. And uh, sad. So rest in peace, prayers for her uh, family. Yeah. Uh, the prison population in the U.S. is on the rise for the first time since before 2010 after over a decade of decreasing. While the increase is fairly small at only 2% from 2021 to 2022, it's expected to keep climbing. Mm. Uh, the states with the largest percentage growth are Mississippi at 14%, Montana at 9% and Colorado at 8%. Uh, for comparison's sake, Georgia is up 3%. Overall, there were 1.20, 1.23 million Americans incarcerated in 2022, with many more joining that number in the past year and change. And finally, on a lighter note, China has agreed to send two giant pandas to the San Diego Zoo later this summer. Now, that used to be a sign of friendship since the early 70s where they we would receive pandas fairly often from China. But it's been over two decades since they last sent pandas to the U.S. Uh, the National Zoo in Washington, D.C. is also in discussions to try and bring the beloved animals there as well. Giant panel, pandas used to be endangered back like 80s and 90s when there was only about 1,000 of them or so. But thanks to conservation efforts, they are now upgraded to being referred to as a threatened species. So it's a little better than endangered with a little over 1,900 pandas living in the wild. Pand- That's awesome. Pandas are cool. Pandas are fantastic animals. I'd like to have them for a pet. That'd that be a lot of fun. would be be awesome. <laughs> that would be pretty absolutely stinking. Cool, man. Uh, I think it's time to shake and bake. What about you? Let's do it. Shake and bake. Shake and bake. Shake and Watch then bake. Shake and bake. Shake and bake. It's shake and bake time. Shake and bake, buddy. Shake it before you bake it. That was on. That yesterday. was my favorite. It's, it's incredible. That that was on yesterday, mm-hmm. and of course, I had to watch that yesterday. I never ever get tired of that movie. Uh, no, and it's absolutely incredible. <laughs> the end, you're not first, you're last. If you're not first, you're last. What does that even mean, Ricky Bobby? You taught me that. Help me, Tom Cruise. <laughs> when he toward the end, he comes up. He's like. <laughs> Cal Naughton Jr. is ready to get back on the team. Anyway, that's a, if y'all hadn't seen that movie, you repent and go Slingshot watch engaged. Yeah, slingshot engaged. You All need right, to go we'll see go that to. movie. Yeah, when we're, we're talking about Christian political engagement while we're talking about. But, uh, hey, you got to have fun also. Well, yeah, we're, we've been, we're on kind of a series. Uh, we're going to take a break next week uh, when we, we're going to interview some friends. Very important topic. Uh, and, and so we're going to have an interview. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we're talking about Christian political engagement. And so we're working through the ERLC, the Ethics Religious Liberty Commission, or the Southern Baptist Convention's document. That's a very, very helpful document. We've linked it, and we'll continue to link it in the show description and put it on the blog so you guys have access to it. But it's a fantastic PDF document that's uh, hyperlinked to the table of contents. You can go uh, attack that content um, as you need to. It's a good reference document. It's super simple. Uh, they've kept it um, easy to access by anybody who wants to read it. And, and today we're going to we're going to tackle two questions in that as we are in this cycle, election cycle 2024. And uh, what we're really going to do today is is tackle these questions. What is common grace and, and how does it shape 
political institutions. That's the first. There's two questions that are kind of addressed there. So what is common grace and then how does that shape political institutions? The second component of that is what is natural law and how is natural law important to Christian political thought? Mm-hmm. So those two things we want to try to tackle today. So I'll, I'll kick us off in that first one. What is common grace and then how does it shape political institutions? They have a fantastic definition, but I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna skip down to somebody I really respect, a guy named Abraham Kuyper, who I, I pulled from Principles of Sacred Theology on page 279. Um, Kuyper is one of my uh, favorite examples of someone who I think works out uh, for the public uh, really well in his time. Um, common grace. He was the uh, prime minister of uh, the Netherlands. In the 1800s, late 1800s, he was also a Dutch Reformed elder, and and he founded the Free University of Amsterdam. Uh, now, they no longer reflect the worldview they were founded mm-hmm. under, but nonetheless, um, Kuiper did a fantastic job, I believe, of bridging uh, bridging two worlds of a, a law, um, a country, or an attempt to enact natural law, created by the Lord Jesus that is good for governing everybody, that's built into the conscience of man. And this is his definition. I, I think it's fantastic. He said, That act of God by which negatively he curbs the operations of Satan, death, and sin, and by which positively he creates an intermediate state for this cosmos or this world, as well as for our human race, which is and continues to be deeply and radically sinful, but in which sin cannot work out its end. That's a glorious definition. Mm, and, 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 they, and they define it in their document as great. It's a great definition. I just, Kuiper's is just, I think it's more nuanced and beautiful, but they, the document, the ERLC document says, common grace is a Christian teaching that despite humans, humanity's sinfulness, God restrains the sinfulness of humanity in order to allow human societies to be built and prosper. So what that allows for when we talk about common grace, it, it is this idea that God has built into um, the world his power toward humanity to restrain sin and allow for human flourishing. Now, common grace is distinct from special grace or saving grace. Saving grace is only the grace of God available through the cross of Jesus Christ, through repentance and belief in the Lord Jesus in which we receive the righteousness of Christ. He takes all our sin. That's that's special grace. That's saving grace. Common grace is that grace poured out on all of humanity for the restraining of sin and, as, as he said, the operations of Satan, death, and sin, and then positively creates this state in the cosmos as well as for humans, which continues to be deeply and radically sinful in which sin cannot work out its end. Mm-hmm. So there's this banner of blessing that sits down on top of humanity called common grace and then the question is how does that then shape political institutions that's an absolutely fantastic question i'll give you give you a shot at that i would like to hear hear what you what you think on that because um i have some opinions and i don't want to i don't want to kick off my opinions too quick right (laughs) tell me what you think um well first common grace helps us it just helps us understand how there can so often be such goodness in a world of unbelievers. Right. It re- reflects the diversity and scope of all of God's creation. And I think one of the most critical aspects of that creation is its moral order. Yeah. Uh, God's created human beings in his own image. This means human beings are moral agents, and that moral agency in, entails instructions and responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been placed as stewards over creation, and our responsibility 
it includes an adherence to a moral order that God has instituted. Mm. Um, how common grace relates to politics is because God's preserving work of common grace helps us understand both civic righteousness and the ongoing realities of social life. Yeah. Um, government was instituted in order to uphold the realities of common grace. Uh, originally, some of the more subtle forms of this are found in just everyday things like marriage, uh, work, and stewardship of the earth. Right, all three of those things existed before the fall, right, and have continued um, after the fall, right. And um, and so I think that's a that's an important component. Uh, the reason it, it matters to Christian political engagement, in my mind, is because it shows shows us that God's intention for government is purposeful. Yeah. And it also shows us that despite humanity's propensity for doing evil, we're not as bad as we could be because God restrains humanity from devouring itself. And you hit on that. Mm-hmm. Um, government plays a big role in restraining the just horrible nature of mankind mm. at its root. Um, and so that's that's where I kind of see the relation of it. Um, I think one of the blessings of this common grace is that God's ordination of state, uh, civil government was created to be sort of a temporal restraint of evil, uh, to provide the outward peace and order within which God could accomplish his redemptive purposes. Yeah. So the state then is a temporal benefit serving mankind as at least a partial interim refuge, if you will, from a wilderness condition. Yeah. Um, and of course that's where the fallen race, ex- you know, the exile from paradise has been driven into that. Right. Um, but God has generously given all mankind the benefits of common grace, uh, tempering the effects of, of our fall in all people, so that none of us are as evil as we could be. And that that's, a, I think, a little bit of a hard thing to wrestle with because even the, that means even the most hard-hearted right. criminals, uh, dictators, uh, serial killers, even them, even they reflect a measure of God's common grace. Yeah. They, they, were, not, they were not allowed full reign. Right. Like your worst, your worst nightmare, which, man, there's this incredible book, um, it comes to mind when we're talking about common grace because uh, I, those of us Gen Xers, are you? You're Gen X, aren't you? You're Gen X. Are you the back? You the back end I'm, of Gen X? I'm, there's like an overlap period at the end of Gen X and Millennials. Yeah. Are you kind of like, overlap? Yeah. Brittany. Okay. You guys are. Overlap. I could fall on either one, and I just pick and choose which one I want to be in depending on the conversation. I, I got <laughs> you. Most of us, if we say I'm more Gen X than Millennial. You're though. more Gen X. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So if if you were if I were to say Killing Fields, the movie, most people. Maybe most people wouldn't know this movie, The Killing Fields. Most people might not even recognize that movie title and trace it to the reality that this genocide was happening in Cambodia in the in the seventies and the eighties, like the eighty nineteen eighties. Yeah. Okay, I'm not talking. We're talking Reagan era, and so these French um, educated communist leaders. Um, Coming, coming back and taking on the name of the Khmer, Khmer, which which is a tribal, uh, tribal heritage in Cambodia, the Khmer Rouge, the Red. So basically, the the Red Khmer. So the communist Khmer, they took over and and it's basically communist takeover, which 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 on the backside of Vietnam. So you got Vietnam ending, I think, uh, seventy five. Um, and so on the backside of Vietnam and, and the fear of communism spreading there, communism just takes over in Cambodia. And what you have are these massive extermination camps. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm talking like like just 
stuff like you see in Hitler and Stalin. And, and there's this book called uh, The Lost Executioner. It's written by a British photojournalist. It's a fascinating read. And, and it's kind of targeting trying to find Comrade Doik. And Comrade Doik, that's his like Khmer Rouge name, but that's not his given name. He's a fifth grade teacher, uh, known to be a fantastic educator, just sort of disappears. And, and, um, and, and it was understood that he became the commandant of an extermination camp. So I think I'm going to get this wrong. It's, I've, I've been a couple years since I finished reading this, but I think it was over 40,000 Cambodians. He was, uh, he, he personally oversaw their execution and they're all, they're all like, they took pictures of them, children, moms, dads, and, and, on the side of that extermination camp is a memorial now with all these pictures there. Mm-hmm. But this British photojournalist, his ta- he wanted to find, he found this, so he finds this guy. It's crazy. Once again, teaching fifth grade, nobody knew who he was, his comrade Doyle. Just thought he was the fifth grade teacher he used to be. And gentle, kind, compassionate. And so here's a guy who, this, the switch just flipped, fifth grade teacher, extermination camp fifth grade teacher again and common grace is that place that as bad as that was he wasn't as bad as he could be that's kind of weird to it's kind of weird to think about like how how much worse could it have been well he could have been a fifth grade teacher who was luring his fifth grade teachers off and murdering them Mm -hmm. but here's a guy somewhere somewhere in all of that god was gracious to those fifth graders in this guy's classroom that he that that switch was flipped it's a fascinating read. It's, it, it's really an incredible book. It's called The Lost Executioner. But it's that, when you're alluding to that, when, when they talk about this document from common grace, that, that we are not as bad as we could be because God has put boundaries up that we can't even go past. Mm-hmm. So here's this commandant of an execution camp that somehow in God's providence was not able to get past that. And somehow in that, God preserved so that there was maximum evil was not carried out. That that's that's astounding. Mm-hmm. And so this idea that that God has built into creation um, restraints of evil um, is glorious. And 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 as you said, it it then gives us this sense that government has a purpose. Right. So so common grace. I think it's explicit, but you can make the argument that it's implicit in the text of the Bible. Common grace implies or is an explicit command that government's task, Romans 13 flat out says it explicitly, is to restrain evil. So, so, so you almost, I think you can flat out say government's task is to be a restraint of evil as a tool of God's common grace. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so now there'll be people who disagree with that. They think the, they, they might say the government's task is to ultimately be a Christian government who implements the law of God. And I would disagree with that point. And we can get, we can talk about that later on. We've got questions that deal with that. But what I would say government's task, explicitly Romans 13 and implicitly in other places in the Bible is to be the implement of God's restraining of evil which is an implement of common grace. Yeah, and that and 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 you said this earlier but I feel like it should probably drive it home again. This this is not redemptive grace. So you're right. you're morally being good and not as bad as you could be right. still does not take away your separation from God. Yeah. It doesn't take away your penalty of sin. Yeah, there's no salvation in that. Right. Yeah. But I also think that's a good point because it also reminds us that government is cannot 
lead to salvation either. That's right. They can't they can't save you from the penalties of your sin, so they shouldn't be operating in that. Yeah, because they don't have that power. And and if they were to operate in that way, then you could argue that then we would be looking to them for salvation. Yeah. Um, or redemption, or whatever is what we're looking for, yeah. as opposed to the only way that that can be found, which is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that saving grace. Yeah, that's right. Component. Kuiper addressed that in, in this unique idea that he is called sphere sovereignty. If you've ever done the Truth Project, anybody's ever studied in the Christian circles and you've studied the um, Truth Project put out by folks in the family, Dr. Del Tackett, um, who my wife had the privilege of studying under Dr. Tackett, uh, he, he unpacks. Kuiper a little bit in the Truth Project when he talk about government. He talks about the spheres of sovereignty. That's a Kuiperian mm-hmm. idea. And government has a sphere of sovereignty that God has given to government. And so and he's given the church a sphere of sovereignty. So he would put the church in a sphere of, of sovereignty, of oversight of certain things, but he don't see them mixing. And when they cross boundaries, that we get in trouble. But Kuiper would say government has a sphere of sovereignty that God has ordained to it. And part of that is primarily the restraining of evil for the common good. And it's the idea of that's presented in the Bible of common grace and, and therefore is to be applied by governments in restraining evil. So again, it implies purpose. Government has a purpose and, mm-hmm. and that helps us. We're making decisions. What is government's purpose? Was it to reach in my pocketbook and take more money? No. It's to restrain evil. Then the question becomes, what's evil? Right. And, and that's where, as a society, the role of the local church is huge, is to define evil and speak prophetically to that. Now, I know there, there are some who are going to say, well, um, shouldn't, the, shouldn't the, the church's role be more robust? And I would say probably so, but remember the church isn't an institution. The church is a people. We call it domains of society. When you release the church to all domains of society, um, we should be there shaping that. So, yes, we do have a role in applying common grace in the public square, restraining evil and doing good. And so it has a place in government, and that is to restrain evil. Yeah, I put in my note, it restrains evil and confers goodness on mankind as a whole, reflecting God's attributes of goodness, mercy, and justice. Mm. Um, just I just like the way that that's worded because I think that exactly what we're saying. Yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, it's an important piece because that common grace there's a you could you could twist that to say that everybody's by nature good. Right. And and, and from a moral standpoint that's true. <laughs> but again, that's to me that exalts even more the incredible gift that is mm. saving grace through Jesus. Because both of them are a gift from God, right? Yeah. Make no make no doubt about that. Common grace is a gift. Right. It's not earned. Right. It's not deserved. Yeah. Yeah. God restraining evil is definitely a gift to mankind. I mean, the Lord even said um, in the Gospels, you know, he he causes his reign to fall on the just and the unjust. So God does good to man. That's common grace. He gives food. He causes the earth to, to sprout forth vegetation and people from all mm-hmm. walks of life, all faiths, receive sustenance from the Lord Jesus because he causes it to produce for them. That's common grace. Yeah. Um, but that, again, is not salvific. Mm-hmm. The reception of salvation comes because of the redeeming work of Christ. The preached good news enters the the eyes and ears and senses of man. They hear and they believe, and that then brings about the application of the special grace of God. Yeah. Um, but but it, it's easy. 
not easy. It's hard to not blend common grace with the next question, and that is what is natural law and how is it important to Christian political thought? Uh, they're not the same thing, but boy, they bump right up against one another. So yep. the question is, what is natural law? Well, natural law is the uh, biblical teaching that God has created a moral order. He's created an ethical framework and boundary that every single creature, human being, can know to some degree. Um, and, and it's the basis off of which Christians and non-Christians can think together about how to order society. Two examples, Psalm 19 speaks to this. He says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from one, is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. And so the heavens declare something about the glory of God. Romans 2, 14 to 16 gets even more explicit when it says, When Gentiles who do not have the law... By nature, do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. So, natural law is not the restraining of evil. <clears throat> Natural law is the ethical standard of God revealed to all humanity, built into creation, and in such a manner into the consciences of mankind that all people everywhere know murder is evil. Right. Right? That, that doesn't have to be written down. It's a human conscience issue because God has written that law into the souls of humans. Mm -hmm. And so that's natural law. Right. A society that follows natural law will care for the general well-being of all of its citizens, right. but a society that breaks it will result in a, its own like breakdown. Right. A uh, little bit of historical context. Uh, theories about natural moral law developed really about 100 years before Christ. A lot of it is attributed to a Roman senator named Cicero. Uh, mm -hmm. He described law as right reason in agreement with nature. Uh, it's, it is eternal, and unchanging is not something that can be tampered with. Uh, and then later, Christian thinkers like Thomas Aquinas st started adopting some of this and argued that law is ordered to ends directed by God, and the end of natural law is the common good of God's creation. Yeah. Uh, and because of the fall, natural law became no longer sufficient to guide humans in their relationship with God like it worked in the Garden of Eden because natural law is not capable of saving sinners, just like we talked about with um, common grace, right. natural law can still be known and followed by sinners, but not to restore a sinner's relationship with God, but right. for the temporal good and just just ordering of society. Um, and then, like Romans Romans one and two kind of talks right. about this, right? Reminds us we have a conscience, holds us accountable to our sins, so that the natural moral law is still relevant, and that right. we must understand and adhere to it. Right. Uh, so there is a lot of commonality here from that, but it's there is this is more of that moral structure by which a society is supposed to operate within. Yeah, that's right. It is built into the conscience of man. Justice is built into the conscience of mankind. If you're wronged, that, that emotional central nervous system firing off 
it is God wiring the human conscience to go, this is not right. And because mm-hmm. this is not right, we define what this is. And and we say people should not take other people's property. Right. Right? And so so that 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 is built in the conscience of mankind. And then we come along in the special revelation of God in the scriptures. God gives us laws. God gives us ten commandments that teach us who God is, who we are, and and the social implications off of those. Mm-hmm. And 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 therefore th- those laws get at the special revealing of what God has declared in the heavens through creation and through humanity and our interaction with each other so that natural law. One of the things that, man, it comes out so explicitly is just, um, you know, the marriage. Marriage is one of those, it's a it's a law of God. Um, it, it is, it is a, explicitly preached in the scriptures. But humanity and biology teaches us the natural law of marriage. And 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 what marriage should be, and 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 what um, it looks like for that to come together in procreation, and so and so I'm trying to not get explicit here because I know parents let their kids listen to theology in the dirt sometimes with us, but but you can look at creation and biology and recognize what marriage should be yeah. and what it should not be because the biology of natural law is explicit. Yes. Like it's not like it's not hidden, it's not a mystery. Like biology just works that way, and so that's a natural law. And so Romans speaks to that in Romans chapter one. I mean, you flat out Romans one eighteen to thirty two doesn't get any more explicit mm-hmm. than addressing that issue. In fact, he says you have to hide. We have to hide ourselves from this. And what we end up doing is, is we end up just going into the darkness of unbelief and just running from these things that are just explicit in creation. It's the law of God. And so God has built this into human conscience. He's built it into creation. And there are standards by which we can flourish if we just obey them. Right. So the question is, what is natural or why is natural law, as far as application of natural law, why is it important to Christian political thought? So one of the hard things in our society today, particularly in America, is that natural law is viewed more as like an out-of-date, out-of-touch rule book right. that has either been completely thrown out in some places or at best severely altered or just kind of muddied, right? right. We've kind of muddied the water on something that shouldn't shouldn't be gray, right? right. It's pretty clear. Right. Right. Uh, so a rejection of natural law, which is in some ways connected to common grace as a rejection of God's ultimate standards laid out in scripture and our country's continued twisting of natural laws, the primary reason, or at least one of the primary reasons, in my opinion, that we're so divided and struggling so much for peace and unity. It's just how government and society was designed to function is within that. I kind of attest it to, uh, and, and you're a parent, so you probably had this. Uh, I, have, I only have one child, but I, you know, siblings, right? It's, it's, or even just children in general, when they come and you saw them do, like you saw them break the lamp, right? Let's just use that as an example. Right. And you know they did. They don't know that you saw them. And they're yeah. like, well, did you break the lamp? No. <laughs> and like, well, okay, I saw you break the lamp. No. Oh, my brother did it. He t- yeah, it starts twisting. We start twisting it where it's like, there's no arguing you broke the lamp. Like I saw it my own eyes. And I feel like our government now, yeah. and, and this is not a, this is not a, party thing right. right this is just across the board right is we you know, government's like no 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 that's not that's not man or woman 
this is whatever you say it. You know, it's right. And that may not be a bad example, but that's what I feel like. It's like no. a toddler or a young child yeah. trying to take something that's very explicit and changing it up. And pretend like it's not there. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I think, I think it I always feel like, feel bad sometimes coming back to that one, but it's the one that keeps getting consistently shoved in our faces. Like it, it's, it's desensitized right. jam and convert. And that's the one it's like women are men, men are women. No, they are not. Mm-hmm. But, but it's constants on television. Like you can't, my favorite television series ever in the history of television, I think season 45 or season 46 survivor kicks off Wednesday night. Yeah. And, and, and even though it's still my favorite TV show, they're going to have your token gay guy or gay girl. It's just going to be because it's the, the intent to normalize this. Like, you cannot normalize that. Like, I, I get it. I get what you're trying to do, but we're not stupid. And why the lamp example, we have a real life. It's called the lamp of remembrance <laughs> because when the boys were little, they actually broke a glass lamp. And we and it was like this big deal because nobody wanted to fess up to it and even admitted it never happened. <laughs> we were figuring out what happened, but what we did, we kept that lamp and pieced it back together. And just like a couple of years ago, we got rid of them and got new lamps. But we jokingly called that broken lamp the lamp yeah. of remembrance because <laughs> it was like it was evident. We know what happened, and it was just this no, and nothing to do. It just kind of broke, and like you going to hell. You are so, <laughs> and then so we called it lamp of remembrance. But it's one of those things. It's it. You know, they all came around and repented, and it was just one of those things where you, and that's what's happening. It's yeah. the lamp of remembrance. It's like, come on now. You're trying to pull the wool over our eyes, and this is just about as evident as it gets. Right, because natural law is derived from God himself, and yeah. it reflects his own moral character. Yeah. So to violate natural law is to violate God's own character, yeah. which is like the very definition of sin, right? First right. John 3, 4. Uh the hatred that sinful humans have for God explains why they want to destroy nature right. because the law that they're rebelling against is embedded in its very structures. Yeah. And we're seeing that we've been, and that's, that's not new. Like, I mean, that's going back decades and decades right. um, where you start to see a little bit of an effort to start to break down that structure. Um, but Christians are to love God's law, both in nature and in scripture because we love God, the lawgiver. Yeah. And, um, Right, the last piece I have on this is actually from that from the document, and I like how they word it. It says, natural law helps explain the rationale for Christian ethics. The primary value of the natural law is not that it would persuade everyone to agree with us, as desirable as that is, but that it would help Christians understand that the convictions we hold around moral issues are not only holy and honorable, but true, good, and beautiful. Mm, that's good. Yeah, I, I like the way that they wrap that up because I think that's yeah, spot on. It is spot on. I just want to read because I, I think I think Paul, what Paul does, the old preacher in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So unrighteousness, the, the violation of of Natural law and the truth of God is an active effort to suppress the truth. All right, so that that's a that's an accusation, and so and so violation of the truth of God, natural law, and special revelation is an active effort to suppress the truth. Verse nineteen four. Here's the reason: for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So, in other words, this is plain. How was it plain? It's natural law. It was. It's written into creation. It's written into your body. It's written in your conscience. It's plain to them. Meaning, this is not hidden. God's not hidden ethics. 
Right. Ethics aren't hidden under a rock somewhere. We've got to go discover them. They're plain to us. For, and here's, here's why is it plain, verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, not hidden again, clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So ever since creation, man has perceived all of the attributes of God in nature. That's wild. And 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 in the things that have been made, this is still verse 20, so they are without excuse. So there's no excuse because it's plain to them. Verse 21, for although they knew God, not redemptively, but knew, I mean, that that's a bold statement. They knew him. Yeah. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. So the result of rejecting natural law and rejecting the truth of who God is is they become futile in their thinking, meaning their thinking has no progress. It's a spiral down into futility. And their foolish hearts are darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves. And so the result of, of pushing back against the natural law of God that is revealed in creation and made plain to humans is that it results in futile thinking and foolish actions and foolish ideas that end in destruction. And the crazy thing is, God lets us do it. Right. Like verse 24, he lets us go. Go dishonor your body. Go dishonor all these things, and you will get the payout. And he goes on to tell us the that what ends up happening is we receive in our own selves because of these dishonorable passions, the due penalty of our error. And so natural law cannot be broken without consequences. It's impossible. Yeah. Right? I, I, when I was thinking about this podcast the other day, uh, uh, yesterday, uh, yesterday evening, um, I was, uh, I like to throw rocks in the water because I like how gravity makes rocks make water splash. It's just fine. I'm a little kid at heart. So I was mm-hmm. throwing, throwing rocks in, in the creek. And um, and I had this thought like, okay, gravity is a law of God. And if I decide that gravity, I'm not going to obey gravity. See gravity sucking this rock down to the water and making a splash. If I decide, you know what? Forget gravity. I'm not going to obey that law. I'm going to climb up in that tree. And although that water's only about a foot and a half deep, I'm just going to swan dive out of the top of that tree and just have a good time. Mm-hmm. I can do that if I want to. I can climb the tree and I can jump and I can hit the water. But I'm going to break a law of God when this 220-pound, 51-year-old man hits that water. and that going to break a lot of things. <laughs> break a lot of things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run up against the consequences of natural law and I'm mm-hmm. going to hurt myself, right? I can do it if I want to. Sure, go after it, but it's not without penalty. And so when we break the laws of God that are written into our, our, our conscience and into creation, it comes with 
penalty. And so natural law is huge for the Christian in our thought when we get into the public square because what we're going to be confronted with is how evil is seeking to to violate God's laws and how humanity is constantly seeking to violate God's laws um, and doing so in a dark heart because what's plain to them has been ignored and they receive in themselves the due penalty for their error and that's what we're trying to fix. Right. And so it's important for Christians in political thought to recognize the law of God is there and it's there to govern mankind and it's a common grace of God. And here's where I think kind of where this wraps up is the natural law of God is is the practice of an implementation of the common grace of God. Right. And so and so God's common grace is in natural law, which restrains evil, and it's there for us to recognize and implement for the common good. And so it's hugely important for us to see that and recognize that. And that becomes a standard by which we can govern under the laws of God without force converting people to Christianity, which yeah. you and I would argue and and is a no-no. Right. Like we don't force convert. That's an issue of faith, trusting in Jesus. We're not Sharia. We're not Muslims. We don't we don't we don't we don't do Sharia law. We do natural law. And we believe that should be influenced by the Christian gospel because the Christian gospel tells us who gave that law and is Jesus. And we believe we can govern as Christians without forcing people to be Christians and do so in a manner that facilitates flourishing of humanity and restraining of evil. And uh, the problem is many of our kind have exited the public square and we're not there. Yeah. And, and, and when the law of God, the natural law of God is broken and allowed to be broken at every level of government, we have some of the problems we have. Yeah, and uh, you know, the and the way that the evil one is attacking this is is not like because Satan knows that natural law is solid. Like it's not he's not going right. to be able to to shake that. What so what he's done is gotten is is people are rewriting natural law. Yeah, whether they they may not say right. that, but th- th- and I think that's why it's being so successful is because right. instead of that's a good point instead of because no one wants to say that. Well, murdering babies is okay. Right. So what we've done is we've rewritten natural law to say this is now a woman's rights issue. It's a health issue. Right. It's a choice issue. What's best for you? And because no one ever they, they they immediately if you say well you're still killing a baby, okay. So now let's redefine what a baby what life is. So right. Now, like like it didn't stop. It didn't work there. Right. So now our argument is. Well, what is life, and when does life begin? Right, and we, so we start to, yeah. even though we know that, and, and and the funny thing is that they use science to argue it. I'm like, well, science is very clear that there's life in there in the womb. Yeah, and and humans only produce humans, so it's clear the life yeah. inside the mama is a human, not a squirrel. It's a human. It's a di- it, right. it's at the basic building block of development, but nonetheless, human. And most of those people would agree that natural law states that when you have a when you have a baby in the womb, you shouldn't be doing meth and drinking alcohol and or castor oil or things that are you know why yeah. because the result of that is harming your baby. Right, that's right. But if you don't want that baby, then yeah. it's okay. And so that's it, called reproductive rights. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But when when we want you to get a vaccine, 
I buy my choices. I mean, that's another <laughs> thing we all get. That would drive that would drive me crazy. I'm like, you just told you you spent decades yeah. arguing that is your yeah. body your choice, but now when there's a different narrative and we need you to put something in your body, that doesn't matter anymore. And so, and why doesn't hold up? Because it's not. It fights against natural law. Sure. So yeah. those are yeah. why you can twist it all you want to. It's not going to survive. It's always going to clash against that. Yeah. And it's going to. It yeah. it can be successful. It is being successful, but it's not going to be successful. Yeah. In the end. Well, what's interesting is for the Christian. This is where this is where we have to be super super um, comprehensive in our application of of mm-hmm. the truth. Because as a Christian, let's just let's just flat, flat out say it. We believe that not only we believe in natural law, that natural law is a means of governing the whole of creation. We specifically believe in the written, revealed law of Christ that is revealed in in the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, that that God speaks specifically to certain things. Mm-hmm. And um, but we believe that we can govern all of creation as co-regents of the Lord Jesus in a manner that facilitates freedom for everybody. But when it comes to natural law teaches us that life is important and we don't unrighteously take life. And that IVF article that I mentioned at the start of the news is one where I think Christians are going to get challenged a little bit because in a lot of Christian circles, it's get pregnant at all costs because God made me to be a mom or God made me made us to be parents, so get pregnant at all costs. And what happens with IVF is you create a human life and freeze it. Mm-hmm. And then in many instances, some of those are destroyed, and it doesn't bother the conscience of the mom and dad whatsoever. And it, maybe it does some. I don't want a blanket statement that. Right. But the state of Alabama has gone out on a limb and said, those lives are still lives and they're precious. In fact, there are organizations who adopt embryos for the purpose of parents having that child because they believe that embryo is a human life that has been created and frozen. And the ethical implications off a frozen embryo, we like we we have to start asking some questions like, okay, um, the creation of a soul. There's a church, there's a history, there's a historical theology on, on the creation of a soul and God's creation of a soul with the work of a mom and dad coming together to have a baby. And... And if we are as Christians, pro-life, and we are, that means that conception, that's a human being. There's a soul there, and we froze them mm-hmm. for use later. And what happens when we destroy them? And what happens if they stay frozen? Like, There's some metaphysical questions that we have to get uncomfortable asking because if we're going to talk about the law of God, the law of God says all life is precious. Well, should we just whimsically create life in the hopes of becoming a parent? Maybe not. And then if we do, what do we do with all those lives we created? Do we throw them away? I mean, I know that's a hard question for people to ask and answer. It affects sure. it affects people in, in my familial circle. Um, but if we're talking about the law of God and dealing with politics, because even Robert Kennedy Jr. has spoken out on this. Nikki Haley's just flat out come out and said, like, she's for the, you know, mamas to be become mamas, and this has been a great treatment, and and, and mamas should be able to do whatever they need to do to become a mama. And I'm going, okay, great. Okay, you have ten and one. What do you do with the nine, Nikki? Let's answer it. And, and Robert Kennedy's doing a terrible job of answering the question. Trump hasn't even approached it yet. But we're talking about now in this cycle. We've we if we're talking about the the importance of natural law in our political thought 
and our ideas, this is a political thought. It's a political issue. The state of Alabama has addressed it at their Supreme Court level and said this is a life and needs to be protected. Mm-hmm. And the feds are coming after them. I'm sure the Supreme Court's going to, the Supreme Court of the United States of America is going to get the case. And for us Christians, we have, we can't avoid these uncomfortable questions because it's an issue of natural law. And because what we learn here, and they address this in their document really well, natural law is going to hold accountable for sin against God. Mm-hmm. So if we as Christians have advocated for the creation of life and then its destruction for the convenience of getting pregnant, then are we violating natural law? While calling on the name of Jesus, that's a problem. What about, and it gives a moral standard. Well, should we live up to that moral standard? What happens uh, if we are hypocritically killing life because it's convenient for us? And then natural law helps Christians understand uh, that the Lord has created the world. And this is this is a final point I'm going to make, and then we've got to do some haze takeaways. But natural law helps us understand the first two components of the meta narrative of the gospel. We, we hit this on the sermon yesterday creation and fall, then redemption and restoration. We have a tendency to look at all of creation just through the lens of redemption. Mm-hmm. But the whole story of the gospel is not just redemption, it's creation and fall. We we have to have redemption because there's a creation and there's been something catastrophic that's happened. And natural law helps us understand the whole world, the entire universe, through the whole lens of the gospel of the kingdom. That there is a creation and it is the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search it out. And natural law is there for us to search out the glory of God in every corner of the universe. Mm-hmm. And, and that means we can apply redemption to every corner of the universe because there is a restoration coming. New creation is going to come. And by, in fact, people coming to faith in Christ, Paul takes Isaiah's language and said, therefore, those who are in Christ are new creations. He's preaching from Isaiah. Mm-hmm. And so new creation, the restoration is springing forth in people who believe the gospel and receive the Holy Spirit and have a whole new set of ethics that are given to them in the Bible. That's new creation. And that is sprouting forth in physical creation as well. And so and so natural law helps us to see all things, not just through the lens of getting saved, but through the lens of God made a creation. He's restoring. And there's glory there to be seen, and there are truths there to be upheld and fought for. And so um, natural law is important. It's important to seeing the application of common grace and restraining evil. And so we're just scratching the surface. This is a deep subject. I hope giving people something to think about as we enter this political cycle. There's there's one indisputable truth here, and that is life is precious yes. and life is valuable. Yeah. And so the entire yeah. essence of natural law and common grace is that indisputable yeah. fact. That's right. Because that's why it exists. That's why it exists. Because we and, and to to get off of that is yeah. to reject yeah, those things. Hundred so. percent. Well, we—it's time to get to some haze takeaways. We need some music for haze takeaways. Yeah, haze takeaways. Yeah, we'll find some. That's not. That's not, not that. it. That's, that's not, not gonna it. Be that's it. not the one. <laughs> you're not gonna, you're not gonna let me be a musician on. A... <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Okay. Um, thank you. Natural law there. <laughs> if you sing, there are natural consequences. Um, I'm breaking natural law when I sing. This is very true. All right, number one, both common grace and obviously saving grace are incredible gifts of God. It's important we never lose sight of the weight of that grace mm. and are eager to share it with others. Uh, number two, the blessings of common grace are temporal, not eschatolog- 
logical. <laughs> I said that wrong. At the consummation of history, the Bible tells us God will establish a new order. The kingdom mm. of God will come from above, not made with human hands. And no cultural activity, redeemed or unredeemed, will carry over into that new order. Uh, number three, the charge of Christian thought is to ground us in God's reality, providing philosophical and theological tools by which we can live in light of it. Mm. Christians need to align with what is real in order to live well and to please God. Number four, God does not call us to be successful. He calls us to be faithful. However embattled we are, however much in the minority we are, yet to live faithfully is to live with joy and peace. Even in the suffering of our exile, cancellation, separation from the mm. world, whatever that ends up being called, and, and that's that's happening now, and mm. we have to re- recognize that, but also recognize that's not our, our job is not to be successful. Our job is to be faithful and mm. obedient, mm. Um, even when we are in that minority or that are being cancel cultured. Mm-hmm. And finally, a reminder from Matthew 6, 33 and 34. I hope that is both a challenge and an encouragement, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Mm, that's a good word. Well, guys, we appreciate you guys listening to Theology in the Dirt. It's an absolute joy to come on here and wrestle through some difficult stuff as we are in this particular season, uh, a political cycle. And so we want to learn to think and think well about what we as Christians do in our engagement of our world. So we hope you'll listen. We hope you'll share the podcast. Give us five-star rating. Leave a comment. That helps the thing somehow and, and all the stuff. It helps it get more seen and more visibility and all that good stuff. So we're grateful for that. Those of you who support the podcast, we appreciate that as well. It's a joy to do this. So we hope you'll do all those things for us. Send us an email at theologyandthird at gmail.com. If you have a question, something you'd like us to talk about, something you'd like us to tackle, we'll do that as well. Next week, we're going to have some guests on here. We're going to have a good time with our friends, Jim and Bonnie Moore. And uh, we appreciate you guys. Have a great rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Out.